Hey everybody and welcome to iFreaks episode number 203. Uh, this week it's just me, Andrew Madsen, um, but we have a, a guest today. It's Mark Moykins. Uh, Mark, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I've been developing for I've been developing for quite some time. Since 1996 probably. And most of the time I've been developing, it's been a lot of back-end stuff, a little bit of UI stuff. But it's one of the, my weaknesses is developing for the UI, developing an aesthetic UI. And a few years ago, I got into iPhone development, but I noticed that was even more important because a lot of iPhone apps look awesome, but I'm pretty bad at it. So uh, we're going to talk to you today about something you've been doing lately uh, to get better at, at UI. Um, and it, it's it's this this challenge. You're doing something every day uh, around UI. Can you just just tell us what's the what's the structure of this challenge? What, what does it all mean? Sure. It's pretty simple. What you do is you sign up with just your email address and then you'll start getting email subjects for the first challenge, the second challenge, and you only get the challenges on the weekday. So the weekends you have off, but every day you do something creative and they give you like a topic, like it might be subscribe to something or a login screen. And they keep it pretty open because you can apply it to many different things. It could be for a website. It could be for an iPhone app or a desktop app. So you can choose your own format and your own tools and you just practice uh, with that subject that you have. You can choose any color you want, any fonts you want, any style structure. And what they ask you to do is once you create it, they ask you to share it and to link with a, you know, hashtag daily UI and you link it either on Twitter and on Dribble if you have uh, a Dribble, you know, invite. So what I usually do is I, you know, just take a topic every day and then I see what other people have done on Twitter and Dribble, and then I come up with something of my own and I actually produce it in Xcode. So we should be clear. I th- I, I think we forgot to mention that this is a. Uh... It's it's daily UI that, that is is the they that send you things. Um, That's right. So you you build your stuff in Xcode, but is that is that a requirement for the challenge? It's it seems like it's for designers, not necessarily just developers, right? That's right. This episode is sponsored by Rails Remote Conf. Rails Remote Conf is a two day completely virtual conference. So if travel expenses are an issue, or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. The conference is focused on people who want to keep up with the latest in Rails, such as databases, front-end frameworks, or Rails 5.1 and all the new stuff that came out with that. We'll have speakers from all over the Rails community to help you stay current in a Slack room so that you can connect with speakers and attendees in real time. Plus, I'll be there since I'm the MC. It also includes a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 27th, and the call for proposals is open until May 13th. So come join us at railsremoteconf.com. Um, That's right. So you you build your stuff in Xcode, but is that is that a requirement for the challenge? It's it seems like it's for designers, not necessarily just developers, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, a lot of people they use you know Adobe products or they might use Sketch to produce their their UI. But I try to I try to keep it in Xcode because it's it's more challenging that way. If I can produce something you know in Xcode that looks nice, because a lot of times you see like on Dribble, you see these great UIs, but 
they, they might not be so practical. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like they, they look fancy and everything, but if you try to actually put it in the structure of an application, it might be a little uh, impractical. So I try to keep mine as realistic as possible. And to do that, I, I use Xcode and I use the tools and the objects that are provided in Xcode. So I guess that way you're also making sure that it's something that can actually be implemented. Cause I know I've worked on designs before where yeah. you have to go back to the designer and say, well, this looks nice, but it's going to take me a month. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah. And, uh, in this way I've actually, you know, by, uh, forcing myself to use Xcode, you know, sometimes I use sketch if I need, you know, some icons or something, but that's about it. And then I import it into Xcode and put it, assemble everything in there. And I've noticed from this, that you get really fast at using Xcode, you know, the, the, the storyboard editor and the interface builder. Um, you, you know, sometimes I, I produce things, you know, in code or on the storyboard, but I've gotten really fast at mocking things up. Did you, so you, you kind of mentioned this, but you started this because you felt like you were not as good at UI, uh, both implementation and design as you wanted to be. Is that, that's, is that right? That's right. Yeah. For implementation, like, if, like I would do, I would never, I didn't know anything about animations, very little. And, you know, it's, it, it, like if you saw a lot of my, my apps and the work I've done before, they've, they're very basic, like no colors. It's just like basically taking the controls from the toolbox and putting it right on the, uh, right on the storyboard. <laughs> you know, that was about it. Sure. So, um, but there, there is part of this, there's the, there's the development part of this, which is, um, learning how to implement these designs. And that's actually something I've done quite yeah. a bit of uh, in my career is implementing custom UI design. So I know a fair amount about that. Nice. But what I don't okay. know is how to design things and make them look good. Um, did you have any background in that or did you just sort of decide that was something you could get good at if you practiced? No, no design experience whatsoever. No background at all. I basically, uh, I looked at, I think the only thing I've ever read is the human interface guidelines, which doesn't really give you a lot on um, how to make great design. They just give you guidelines on don't do this, you know, do this over this. And I've also read uh, material design for Android. But again, it's, you know, they're, they're guidelines. They don't really give you like a basis of, you know, great design is when you have one, two, and three, <laughs> you know? So I haven't really found that. And, but as I started looking at other designs, I started doing some research on my own to kind of figure things out. I started noticing uh, like trends or things that come up over and over again. Uh, and also analyzing Apple's own products too. I've kind of figured some things out on like, I'm like, Oh, they really make this stand out over this. So it's, that's one of the things that I learned, for example, was uh, putting priority on different pieces of data, like all the information you see on a UI they don't have the same value. You know, some of that information is more important than other pieces. And so you want to make those stand out more. And that's what kind of like what I noticed from Apple products. Sure. So that's, uh, you know, beyond just making things look nice, making it so that it really works for the user um, and yeah, help makes the app usable. Yeah. Uh, okay. So my next question about this is, uh, this sounds really great. It even sounds like something I'd like to do, but how do you find the time to do it? Oh, that, I tell you, Andrew, that has been <laughs> a real struggle. I recently got married uh, last year. I just had my first year anniversary. Oh, congratulations. And, oh, thank you. And it, it's one of the things that, that 
I really have to make time for. It's like right after work, I try to take like one hour. Um, so from five to six, I work on the, uh, the design challenge. And, but at first I could not keep within that hour. It took so long because I'm learning something new and I'm trying different things and you have a lot of ideas and you don't have any, uh, grounding principles to follow, like step one, do this, step two, do that. Uh, you know, so at first it was taking me hours to complete these things. And my wife was getting a little frustrated and upset. She's like, you just finished work. And now it's like, you're on, you're still on the computer. I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. I'm trying this new thing and I'm trying to learn. <clears throat> so that, that has been a real challenge. And so she started other activities. Like, you know, I would take her to the gym, drop her off. And then I would go to the cafe across the street and I would work from there and, and work on that design challenge while she did that. So it has been, it has been tough. And sometimes if I can't sleep, I'll get up and I'll work on the design challenge because I know, you know, anytime that I'm awake, <laughs> I've been using up all my free time on doing the design challenge. So if I can finish it early, I do. And I can spend more time with my family. So how much time would you say you spend on it now that you're, how, how far in are you? It's a hundred day challenge, right? hundred day challenge. Yeah. And I'm a little bit behind. Uh, I'm on day. Yeah. I'm on day 66. I've just got an email for like day uh, 71. So I'm four days behind. I was on vacation. And so during that, the whole period, uh, you know, that whole week, uh, I didn't do any of the design challenges. So yeah, I'm on 66. And, and how much time do you think you spend every day now? Now it's, it's about an hour or less. Like I remember, like I just did one a couple days ago. I think that was only like 45 minutes. Uh, and I also use this opportunity to like, <laughs> one thing that I'm noticing is I can actually finish it really fast, but now I'm like, Oh, I have more time. You know, why don't I try this or do this? You know, I'm going to experiment with this. And so now I'm actually like, kind of like, remember I was telling you before I didn't have any experience with animation. And so I was learning a lot about animation, you know, a couple months ago. And, <clears throat> and then, you know, that, that kind of bleeds over and I've been learning about, you know, CGFI and transforms. And then, you know, I started incorporating those more. And then now I've kind of like gone into uh, uh, transitions and I've been experimenting with those more. So it's like, I finish faster now, but now I take that extra time. <laughs> I just, I keep making it longer and longer by exploring new areas. So now, yeah, about an hour. Well, that an hour is not that long, right? I mean, it doesn't seem like that long yeah. to me. I can barely get any, anything done in an hour, I feel like. Um, uh, yeah. So, you do this challenge, and you'll get super fast. So, um, another thing you do as part of this, which I think is really cool, is you you actually turn some of these into tutorials on, on YouTube. Yeah. So, you're not just doing them for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, last, last year I started a, uh, a YouTube channel. And I decided to kind of share some of the things that I've been working on and, or learning for myself. Whenever yeah, I get this feeling, like if I spent a long time learning something, I kind of want to save other people the trouble and hassle of going through what I just went through. <laughs> so I'll make a video about it. I'm like, this is here, here's what I learned. Here's what you can do. And so I started doing that with these tutorials, you know, like uh, learning about animation, uh, what works, what doesn't work. Uh, kind of pitfalls that I've gone through best practices, you know, like chaining animations together. Um, and even how to do animations with the transforms, you know, how to set things up and, and kind of like wind it up and then pressing a play button and watching everything kind of come together. So I made videos on, on things like that. And I've also made some videos on uh, tips 
on like um background images how to produce you know nice background images and incorporate them into your application have you gotten a, a pretty good response to these videos oh yeah yeah really good surprisingly it, i guess i have a knack for explaining things and i think the way i talk i talk kind of slow and i there's a lot of pauses <laughs> so i found out a lot of my uh, viewers are foreign only only about 20 maybe 30 percent are in native english speakers and so i think uh my teaching style it suits them they can they can easily understand what it is i'm, I'm trying to teach so it helps them out i'm looking at some of your videos and you, you've got pretty good view counts on a lot of these it's impressive yeah thanks it's still still kind of new i've only started maybe like six or seven months ago maybe eight months so still growing um so so uh what, what do you do for your day job my day job i work at usana health sciences and i'm part of a mobile development team we use xamarin for cross-platform development and i work on the the ios team so you're writing c sharp yeah at work yeah uh, we're friends of microsoft at ifreaks so i won't say anything about oh. that but uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm kidding i'm just yeah. a, definitely a swift and objective c developer uh, but we yeah. really, we really are friends with Microsoft. Uh, yeah. But so do you? But do you get to? Does any of this uh, um, cross over and apply and help you at your job? It does. It really, it really has helped. Uh, we do have an, a UI design guy, um, but I've been able to uh, kind of like implement uh, suggestions, especially with animation, using a little bit of animation and design. Not too much because it's not really my main role. But I've been able to add some uh, little enhancements, you know, just like little subtle animations to kind of improve the user experience a little bit. I, I imagine, or I mean, I think as a developer, even even if you're not a designer, having some kind of uh, background and ability to do design and especially to implement design, it, it can, can be really valuable, even if it's not your primary responsibility. I know that in stuff yeah. that I've worked on, you know, it, it, if you're, if you're really going to collaborate with someone, it helps to be on the same, same page as them and to be able to talk coherently about the, the stuff you're working on together. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has been, it, it does make that transition a little bit better because before you know, you, you totally rely on the UI design guy and whatever he gives you. And it's like you said before in the beginning of the podcast where you get some designs and you're like, all right, you know, this looks nice, but you know, it's going to take a while. But now, you know, I can, I can talk, you know, back and, and say, well, you know, okay, this, this looks nice. And then offer alternatives or suggestions, you know, uh, because it, it might be too, either too complicated or, Sometimes, you know, he has to design for Android and iOS, and sometimes it might not be, you know, follow the iOS human interface guidelines, uh, but I can offer suggestions and alternatives, and it makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I think that's a good skill to have as a developer. Um, so I'd, I'd like to get into a little bit of uh, the, the specific stuff you've learned. Our, our listeners are primarily iOS developers and I think they would be interested in, in the actual, you know, iOS things that you've gotten better at and learned more about by doing this. Um, yeah. So, so why don't you, uh, why don't you start us off? What, what are some things that you feel like you've really learned how to use in terms of, you know, UI kit and, and Xcode? Absolutely. Well, animations is, is probably the top, 
thing that I've learned in a lot of my designs that I, I try to incorporate some facet of animation because when you, when you produce something, what, what I do is, is I come up with my design and then I will record a, uh, a, mo- a movie, you know, a quick time video of the, uh, the simulator. And then I convert that into a GIF and then I put it's the GIF that I put up on Twitter. So you can see the interactions and how the animations work. So the animations are really important. And I've kind of like developed this <clears throat> concept that this term of wind up animations. And really what that means is, you know, if you're moving something from point A to point B, you have two choices of doing that in iOS. You can sort of like push it. So, you know, when you say you say you're moving a button from the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen, you have two choices. You can start off with putting the button at the top of the screen. And then when the the view loads, then you animate it down to the bottom. Or what you can do is you can actually put the button at its destination down at the bottom. And what this is what I do. I put the button down at the bottom. And then what I do is I wind it up. So when the view loads... I'll do a transform on it and that's kind of like my windup. I'll, I'll, you know, put it in a different position or I'll make it a different size or I'll, uh, rotate it to the starting position. And then what I do is I animate it to its destination. So you have two choices. You, it's kind of like a push animation or a pull animation. And those, are, those aren't technical terms. I'm just kind of making those up as I'm telling you, but it's kind of like, that's one of the easiest ways that I found because when you do a transform, you know, when you reset it and you want it to move back to its destination, like the button at the bottom of the page, all you have to do is say, you know, button dot transform equals dot identity, which removes all the transforms and animates them, animates it back to its original state, I guess you could say. And that's been the easiest thing that I've learned. So I do these wind up transforms, these wind up animations where I put everything in its destination and then I wind it up and move everything away or change all the sizes. And and then it's like pushing a button where everything animates back to its destination. That's that's one of the, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I haven't really heard that technique before. Um, What is it about that that you think makes it easier? Oh man, because think about it like this. If you uh, say you don't use transforms at all, and you put a button up at the top, well, you're going to do the, the push animation, right? You're going to push that button from the top to the bottom. So maybe you do something like uh, you you animate its constraint or its frame, you know, the, the origin or, it, or its center property, for example. Then, you, then what you'd have to kind of keep track of like, okay, you know, where do I need to, to move this to? You know, then you have to calculate a position for it and then you animate it into that new position. And then if you want to reset it, say you come off the screen and you go back and then you have to kind of like uh, set everything back. So you have to kind of keep track of like, you know, it's starting position and it's ending location. But with a transform, it makes it super easy because you're only setting one value. Like say, you know, you're moving the, the, the button from the top to the bottom. All you need to know is where the starting position so you might, you know, if you're doing a transform, you do a, a translation, which is kind of like a reposition. And, and so all you're doing is you're just setting the starting point and you don't have to worry about the destination point because, because when you animate it, all you do is set the transform to dot identity and the dot identity will know where 
it started, know its destination, kind of like where it started from, where you put it on the storyboard when you first put that button on the storyboard. So it knows that information. So you don't have to know that. Well, that, that's actually cool. I, I hadn't um, thought of that technique, and I uh, think it's an interesting one. Have you have you put that? Have you talked about that in any of the t- tutorials that you've done? Yeah, I have. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, transforms, and I think a lot of sometimes you know, like CG Affine transform is can be confusing because it's you know it's something that I'm not really like a, a math scholar, and these are math terms, and they might be new to people. So in my videos, I I really I tell them what it means and. A fine, basically all that means is, you know, it preserves parallel relationships. And there's only three transforms that Apple gives you. You can rotate something, make it bigger, smaller, you know, scale, and then you can uh, reposition it, which is called translation. And all of those things that you're applying to an object, you're still maintaining the, the same aspect ratio, I guess you could say, of the object. You're not twisting it or turning it, you know, uh, warping it, I guess you could say. It's preserves those parallel relationships so your object always kind of has the same aspect ratio and that's all it means so i i teach them you know what the term means and then i teach them you know different ways to use it but when i teach it it's not like oh you can do this you can do this or this i actually produce a uh, a product you know uh, <laughs> well a uh, a product from my daily ui and i show them kind of like practical ways of using it like you know if you have a pop-up that you want to show then that's good. Or if you have, you know, something you want to slide in, here's how you do it. So I kind of keep it practical. Cool. Um, another thing you, you mentioned at the beginning when we were talking is that uh, you've gotten really good at, at sort of mocking things up in storyboards. Yeah. And um, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. What, what, what are some tips and tricks and things that you found that help you do stuff in storyboards faster? Okay, sure. Yeah, what I've done is <clears throat> I've explored uh, IB Designables and IB Inspectables. And what that is, it's just Interface Builder, IB Interface Builder. And Designable allows you to see what you're, you're coding on the storyboard. And the Inspectables, IB Inspectables, allow you to show properties in the Attributes Inspector. So that has really helped me quickly produce uh, these prototypes. So for example, what I might do is that, you know, maybe I like the the button with a, a faded background and an outline with rounded corners. So I'll create, you know, I'll create a custom button class and I'll make it inspectable and designable. So basically what I could do, I, I kind of developed a library and I put it on GitHub, you know, uh, designable X. <laughs> and basically it's just the name of the class with an X behind it. So, you know, when you go into the, uh, the properties, I could just, you know, if it's a button, I just type in UI button with an X at the end and it's pretty easy to find. So I drag all these files into my, into each project. This first thing I do is drag all these files just in case I need them. And then I can, you know, create, you know, these round uh, objects. If I need a round UI um, or if I need to even, you know, put text on a path, (laughs) I've created an IB Designable for that. And that's like, that's like super difficult. That's one of the harder things that I learned was a, you know, putting text on a path uh, in the storyboard, <laughs> you know, so yeah, it takes a lot of coding. I, I, I did have some help though. I didn't do it all, all on my own, but I have something for like almost every single object, you know, for the, the text view, the, I mean, the text field, the labels, the UI views, uh, even a slider, 
so it's really easy to customize like right away. I can put things on there, reposition them. And also sometimes I will put in properties to animate things. Like if, you know, when a view loads, maybe I want something to kind of like pop up into view. And so I have a property that's just basically called pop in and I set it to, you know, yes or no, true or false. And it will do the animation for me. I don't have to write that code. So do you, when you're, when you're, um, sort of building these things, is it just like, well, I've got this design, here's a, here's something I need to do. And I don't already, I don't already have an IB designable that can do this. So you create one at that time or, you know, or add properties to one you've got, is it just sort of as you need it that you're creating? These? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't, I didn't add a lot of, uh, it's, it's kind of like <clears throat> I do it in an agile sense. You know, you only code it as you need it. Maximize the amount of effort. Uh, not, you know, what was that term in the Agile Manifesto? Maximizing the amount of time. Amount, nah, I forgot what it was. But basically, yeah, only designing just as much as you need or, or coding just as much as you need as you need it. So it's, you know, it's been a few months. So I've been uh, kind of building up on them as I need them and adding adding to that GitHub repository. Uh, that's cool. Um, are you you're, are you using any of this stuff in shipping apps, or is this uh, all just for your daily challenges? Just for the daily challenges, yeah, yeah. Like I I don't use it at work. Well, right, because you're using Xamarin for one thing, right? Yeah. But are you able to apply any? I mean, we already sort of talked about this, but are you are you applying any of these techniques? I, I'm not. F- super familiar with how the Xamarin workflow goes, but you are still using native UI kit stuff, right? We do. Yeah. And the, <clears throat> there's a couple, couple different ways you can do things in Xamarin. You can have uh, sort of like a forms project where everything is kind of like XML and it'll render into an iOS UI or an Android UI or a windows phone UI, but we, we don't use the, the Xamarin forms instead we use the other project where we have an actual iOS specific project and then we have shared code between iOS and Android. And with that, one of the benefits of doing it that way is, you know, you have your own storyboard and in Xamarin, you can right click on the storyboard and open it up in Xcode. And so that's usually what we do is we just do all of our UI work right in Xcode, save it and it saves it to the Xamarin project. Uh, Cause the way Xamarin works, you know, working with storyboards, it's a little bit different from interface builder from using Xcode. So if you're super familiar with Xcode, we, which we are, we, we just do it that way. And, and I really haven't applied, you know, actually that's not true. I, I did use it actually just a couple days ago for a label. Uh, I used uh, one of the designables. I didn't pull in the whole thing because in my designables, I have, you know, something for many situations, but I only needed it for one situation. You know, I only needed like one property. So I just pulled that in and uh, used it in the project. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I, I have used it in our projects. Very cool. Um, so part of this that I'm, I'm really inexperienced with, and, and you mentioned that you've, you've really kind of learned on your own is actually doing the design. And uh, I think you mentioned you use, you use sketch for some stuff. Um, yep. how, how do you find that as a, as a developer, how do you find, um, 
I'm trying to do design in a tool like Sketch, and, and I'm, I'm also kind of curious just about Sketch, specifically what you like about it and what you find useful in it. Sure. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind? Or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Ruby. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got Ruby Rogues all day? Well, you can, kind of. We moved our Ruby Rogues Parlay forum to Slack. That means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at rubyrogues.com slash parlay. That's rubyrogues.com slash P-A-R-L-E-Y. Um, yep. How, how do you find that? As a, as a developer, how do you find um, trying to do design in a tool like Sketch? And, and I'm, I'm also kind of curious just about Sketch, specifically what you like about it and what you find useful in it. Sure. You, you know, one of the things I, I like about Sketch, which has nothing to do with the tool itself, but I kind of like that, you know, I, I paid for it once a couple of years ago and it's not something I have to continually subscribe to <laughs> you know, like Adobe products. So I didn't want to go down the Adobe route. Uh, so I stuck with sketch. It's, it's very simple. It's, you know, very easy to learn. Uh, very, you know, very easy to produce products right away. And usually what I do is, you know, I might start, there's two main things that I use sketch for and that's for background images and icons. So what I like to do is, you know, I'll go into, there's a, a website called pexels.com where they have a free, uh, royalty free photos that are really high quality. So I like to go there and I might, you know, find a, a good background and then I'll pull it into, and, but they're usually like super huge and you know, you're not going to find anything with the same resolution as a, the same aspect ratio as an iPhone. Right. So with sketch, you know, all you have to do is create an artboard. And then it gives you a choice of like, you know, iPhone and Android sizes. So I usually pick just the iPhone seven and then I throw the picture in there and resize it, you know, get it, get it showing the only the part that I want to show on that artboard. Artboard is kind of like your, your template, your frame that you start with. That's, you know, the right size for, you know, whatever device you're using. And then what I'll, I might do some, a uh, little bit of image editing in sketch. And then once I get it to the way I like it, then I export it and just bring it into Xcode. And then with icons, there's a, uh, there's a great website called the noun project.com. And I usually go there and you can find icons for anything on that website. And if you use them, you know, you just, you can use them royalty free, but you have to give credit to the, the author. So what I'll do is I usually go there and I might find an icon that I like and I can pull it in a sketch. And if I need to change it, you know, it's, it's great for like a starting point. Like, Oh, here's, you know, here's an icon that I could use, but I want it to be a little bit different. And so what I'll do is, you know, I might change it or edit it or, or base my design off of those icons, or I just might use the icon by itself. And like, I have a video for onboarding, I think it was, or user defaults where I use some icons that were straight from the noun project. And I gave credit to the author, you know, right, right in the video. So I usually, that's usually what I use for, uh, for sketch just for backgrounds and icons. 
and you, for everything else, you know, like text or custom fonts, I just do right in Xcode. Cool. We have a late addition to our podcast. Um, Erica has been able to, to join us. Hi, Erica. Hey there. Glad you made it. I'm so sorry. I was working on an evolution proposal and I just lost track of time. No, you're completely fine. I'm glad you're working on that. Uh, so we're talking to Mark Moykens about, um, he's a, he's an iOS developer, but he's done some, done something called the daily UI challenge for the last couple of months where every day he does a, a challenge to design and implement uh, a little piece of UI. And we're talking about what he's learned by doing that. That is awesome. Hi, Erica. Hi there. So beyond beyond um, all of these skills that you've learned, you've learned things like how to use Sketch, how to use designables and inspectables in Interface Builder, and, and how to do animations mm-hmm. and use transforms and all that. I mean, these are specific skills you've learned, but uh, uh, sort of uh, on a on a higher level, what what have you gotten out of this? Why why did why do you care? Is it just because you wanted to improve your skills as a developer and be more marketable, or is there, is there something more than that? Yeah, that's pretty much it. It because you know you have a lot of like your own ideas. And I've noticed, you know, if, to produce a, a great app, you need that balance of aesthetics as well as functionality. And I really lack that skill of, you know, how to produce aesthetic things. Or I also lack the skill of you have an idea in your head and then you try to do it in your app and you're like, oh, this looks horrible. This isn't, I can't get, you know, with this original picture that I have in my head, I can't get it to look that way, <laughs> you know, on your mobile app. <laughs> so this has really helped me, you know, like when I have an idea now I can just, I can really get really close to that idea that I have using nothing but Xcode and and maybe sketch for a little bit. And I've also noticed too, that a great looking app doesn't necessarily mean that it's, well, how can I describe this? Sometimes, sometimes an app can be too good looking. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, is, they've reached this technical perfection of like a beautiful looking app, but it's taken away from the, the main point. Sometimes like sometimes design can actually be distracting. That's another thing that I learned too, is that you have a main point, like you have a screen and there's like two main things that you want the user to be able to do easily, you know, pertaining to your app. But sometimes, what you're describing yeah, yeah. is the breakdown between usability and design beauty. Ah. And these are very distinct things. An app can be absolutely usable where the most used options are present themselves readily and so forth. And it could look like I'm trying to find a word that's suitable for a family-friendly audience. (laughs) But then on the other hand, you can have an absolutely beautiful, professionally designed application that hides its utility, that pushes the user away from the path of greatest benefit. Yeah. And finding a harmony between these two is extremely challenging because when you design an application, you want an application that's functional, 
performant, beautiful, and usable. And a lot of what you're describing is how do you enhance the aesthetics? And that is something that I think a lot of developers struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. That's myself included. That's one of the things I, I noticed, like what you're describing. I developed this concept of a scale where over on one side of the scale is pure simplicity, which is how I used to design my apps because I used to use, you know, I use the tools, the the controls right out of the toolbox and I applied no styling to them at all. And over at the other end is like almost like total aesthetics and beauty. And so with the scale, you have to find something kind of like right, you know, right in the middle that, you know, keeping your users in mind can enhance your application without distracting it over on one side and without it being too boring all the way over on the other side of the scale. And so that's kind of like, as I designed, you know, in the beginning, I used to do that. I used to over-design it and then I had to kind of scale it back a little bit. I'm like, Oh no, this is, you can't even tell what this app is for now. (laughs) You know, it's like, it looks awesome, but what does it do? So I had to kind of like scale it back and so that's one of the things that, that really helps me out is I have concepts in my head of like, you know, how simple can I make it or how, you know, complex and beautiful can I make it? And then kind of like find something in between. One of the influences that, that really helped me kind of like arrive at that concept of the scale is, you know, I, I looked at some of uh, Dieter Ram's um, designs. He, he's a, a product designer for Braun and his whole idea was a, uh, making things simple and functional yet beautiful at the same time. And he has some kind of like guiding principles on how you do that. And so that kind of got me thinking, I'm like, well, how simple and beautiful can something be? And that was some of my design challenges. I kind of like challenged myself on that where I made nothing but a black and white application and still try to make it aesthetic at the same time. And it's, it's kind of difficult, you know, at first, but you realize, oh, you can do this. It can just be black and white and still be functional and beautiful. And like, you know, you were saying, uh, Erica, where it's like, if you find that, that right balance where, you know, it doesn't distract the user and it, it still looks, still looks good and they can easily function with it. There's a certain joy of interaction that you want to incorporate into your apps your apps should feel lively and they should have a way of entering information that's simple and supportive and so forth. And a lot of that does not come under the umbrella of finding the right background photos. It doesn't come under the umbrella of the right font or the right color set Mm. and there are a lot of axes in not just ios development but mac development as well as well as android or whatever platform that you're going into that a lot of people just never consider that go beyond here's a screen make the screen better yeah yeah 
Yeah, so much of that is is like is like the the feeling that you impart to the user of your app, and I certainly know that some of my favorite apps uh, do that really well. It's the experience while using them, not just looking at them, not just accomplishing yeah. a task. It can be really hard, though. I certainly don't know. Um, I don't think I know how to do that as a as a designer very well at all. Yeah. One of the one of the things that Apple did when they first designed iOS or iPhone OS as it was at the time is they had these little they look horrible and ugly and dated now but the alerts you know the little rectangular alerts that pop up and you click OK or tap OK have you noticed that when they arrive on screen they bounce they bounce out they stretch and then they squash yeah, I have and, that. Yeah. And what they were doing there was going directly from the playbook of Disney. Mm. And Disney has an animation rule list. There's an entire book about it somewhere. I know there's a Wikipedia page as well, but it talks about squash and stretch that you use emphasized motion for transitions to just kind of give them this pleasing appearance when when they come into view and you know there are other things like exaggeration and i can't really remember all the principles off my head right at this moment but they're there they're easy to look up and so forth and so when you're creating that beauty of interaction, it's not like they're not pulling it from anywhere. They're pulling it from people who have done user interaction studies. I'm thinking of John Norman. Is it John Norman? What's what's Norman's first name? I don't know. I can't, I can't remember but he talks about um, the I, I think, principles. I think it's Don is it Don? Don yeah, is it Don? Don? Don rhymes with John, so I was sort of in the ballpark. <laughs> um, and he's a psychologist who talks about things like providing affordances. Are you familiar with the term affordance? No, I'm not. Affordance is anything on screen or on a physical object that invites interaction. Mm. It's there to tell the user, here is where you can interact. There's a button you can push it. There's a dial you can tweak it. If you have a teapot, which is the standard thing, for some reason, computer scientists are obsessed with teapots it has the handle you can pick up and so when you're creating that user interface not only are you doing the layout but you you have the affordances which show you where you can interact you have the animations that respond to when you're touching them And then there's the layout, as you were talking about, coming up with a beautiful set of fonts. Well, Apple makes that pretty simple because they sort of tell you what font to use. But 
you're not always living in an Apple font world, especially when you cross over to a cross-platform development Mm-hmm. And you're using tools that go beyond, say, SpriteKit or UIKit or something like that. That's when you start looking at design books. And I own books of color patterns and I own books of fonts and when you should use them and the emotional qualities of fonts and what the colors mean to you and so forth. They're, they all go into the UI design. And if I seem more passionate about UI design, you know, than the average developer, it's just because that's actually my personal background. Oh, okay. Well, it's good to have you join us then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Even if really, really, really late. (laughs) No problem. Um, so if, if, if our listeners want to, want to learn more, if they want to get better at this, what do you recommend? What are some resources that they can go to? Well, for me, yeah, I might, maybe I don't have the best resources, but what I've done is, uh, if you want to get better at UI design, well, you can sign up for the UI design challenge. It's just, uh, dailyui.co and then just give me your email address. You can even pause it too, if you need to pause it because you're going on vacation, which is probably what I should have done. And then it just gets you practicing. And uh, I don't think you're going to get worse the more you practice. So, and as you practice, you probably want to look for inspiration for that subject of the day. And so you might look at Dribble or Twitter and look for that hashtag, you know, hashtag daily UI and then whatever number you're on. And so you can see, uh, you know, many examples. And that is pretty much uh, w- what I've done. And I think along the way too, as you start looking at these examples, you, some people, you know, will put in the comments, you know, I got this idea from this and then you go to that source or, you know, someone says I'm working on this principle of design. Then you go to that source and you look at it and you're like, Oh, this is, a, you know, read that design principle. And that, that's actually like how I came across Dieter Rams. You know, I didn't know who he was, uh, you know, before this. And so I looked at his, he had, I think like 10 principles of design. I read through those. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. I want to practice some of these. And, and I actually did one of my daily UI challenges was, was kind of like inspired by him. We had to make a radio player and that's something he made, you know, something, one of the things that he designed. So I try to make it like as simple as possible with, you know, as aesthetic as possible and as functional as possible. It, you know, sort of like imagining if, if he were to design an app. So, that kind of helps too. And I think just as you're in this world more and more, you'll start coming across these, these principles. Um, and I think you could, you could just Google search, it, I guess, but I don't really have anything that's like, this has been the best thing that's helped me out because a lot of things you don't know if they're, if it's the actual truth, you know, or if it's just someone's opinion. I think some of the best resources out there yeah are going to be disney don norman ben schneiderman i don't remember his first name nielsen he's he's got the design group with don norman right 
I think he does work with him now. I'm going back into the ancient, ancient ages. And so much of this came out of, what was it called in California? The people who gave us small talk. Palo Alto um, Park. Park, that's it. Mm. And there's quite a substantial academic community who not only just writes, you know, opinions and so forth, but have done some reasonably formal testing Mm. on a lot of these mechanisms. And not just, you know, the user interface, but the entire encompassing user experience. Yeah, it's good to know. I'll have to look into these. I still have 40 or 30 some odd days left of the design talent. So it's still plenty to learn. Where can people go if they want to see what you've done? Oh, they can go to Twitter. Um, I have a, uh, I think it's, let's see. I had to actually set up an account because I didn't have a Twitter account before. But if you go to twitter.com forward slash, it's Big Mountain Studio, it, which the mountain is abbreviated. So it's just B-I-G-M-T-N Studio. And then I post all of my challenges on there. I don't have a dribble invite, so I can't, uh, I can't add things. I can only view things on dribble and like things, but I can't actually post things. But yeah, so I've just been using Twitter to post all my work. So let me ask you a more important question. Uh, For those of us, because although I have studied this stuff, I am crap at design. (laughs) Where do we find people who do really well at your challenges? Oh, yeah, I... You know, it, it's funny because I've seen like a whole array of of designers who are just entered the field and they're awesome at it. <laughs> and there's some people that they've been doing it for a long time and they're not really that good. So what I do is, you know, like uh, I go out, I go to Dribble, and I really like the animated type of uh, designs, you know, because it's more related to my field, I guess. So I go to Dribble and you have to do searches, you know, cause dribble can have any type of design. It could, it could be illustration. It could be, you know, art, but you, if you search for like mobile design or mobile or, you know, something related to your field, you can find great pieces out there and you, they, they sort them by popularity. So you can see what a lot of people like, you know, what's, what's popular now or, or what has been popular in the past when people were doing this design challenge. Same with, uh, Twitter, if, if you can, you know, search the design, just search for, you know, hashtag daily UI, you know, you can see what received the most likes and you can just find your, what there might be, maybe what you like, isn't the most popular, but it's your own style. And when people see it, they're like, like there's, there's one designer where every time I see her work, I'm like, Oh, that's her. I don't even have to see her name anymore. Cause she has this one style that, you know, she's very good at like what she does and she's very easily identifiable her work. So I think that's, that's, that's how I did it. And also I practice another way to practice it too. And you kind of start to learn it is find something you really like 
and then try to reproduce it in Xcode. And as you're reproducing it, as you're putting all the pieces together, you, you'll start to realize, like, oh, that's why this works. Because, you know, you might start with a background color and you're like, ah, it still doesn't look well. And then you might, you know, apply, you know, some labels and you're like, oh, it looks okay. But then you change the, the font of the label and you're like, oh, now it looks awesome. And so you start to realize different pieces because you're building it little by little. You start to realize like, oh, these two things really work well together. So I think really getting your hands on, finding something that's great and then reproducing it yourself, it starts, you start to, you know, realize Oh, this is what works together. This is that's been, my suggestion. Okay, yeah, yeah this is this has been a, a, an interesting discussion, a little different than what we usually do on iFreaks. So I'm glad we had you on, Mark. Oh, thank you. Is there anything else you think we should talk about before we get to the picks? No, I think that. Oh, one last thing <clears throat> that I thought was very interesting with I found a relation, another relation between design and UI and user experience and communication like real human communication. And I started to see, excuse me, sorry. I started to see uh, relationships between them. And I realized that when you look at something, it's kind of, it is a communication from whether it's your phone, you know, to yourself. And sort of like what Erica was saying, you know, these little like animations and, and, you know, like Disney's, you know, squeeze and squash, it's a feedback. It's a communication, you know, from the device or from the UI to the user and the user is interacting with it and he's seeing it. So you have this communication going back and forth. And I realized that if you have like a really simple UI that it, it, it can actually convey boredom. And so the user, when he's using it, he gets bored. And he's like, I don't like this application. <laughs> you know, in the same like when someone is talking to you, you know, you ever want to like, I don't know if, if you ever worked with someone like this, but you need to talk about problem X and you say, you know, like, uh, Hey Joe, how's it going? I need to talk to you about problem X. He's like, go oh, ahead. Yeah, problem X. He says, I was thinking about that last night when I was eating dinner and my wife made this incredible meal. And then later we, we took the kids out and we did this. You know what I mean? He's like kind of going off the topic a little bit and, you, and he's getting distracted by something else. <laughs> well, UI can do the same thing when you're all the way over on the other side of the spectrum where it's too beautiful and all you need to do is enter your username and password to log into this app, but you're looking at all the pictures and all the animation in the background and you're distracted from doing the main task or talking, you know, what, what the app should be talking about is, Hey, we need your username and password. So I've, I've seen relationships between communication, you know, and what is good communication and what is good design. In a way, what you're talking about is driving the narrative. And it's a thing that you find a lot in film and television where the storytelling using visual elements pushes your eye, pushes your interest towards things. And again, this is something that rolls over into UI design where you want to focus the user and tell that user a story and guide that user through the story of using the application and there are visual and animated secrets for doing that yeah yeah and one of the things they do when they do ui studies um in you know there there are various places you can go and pay and have ui studies done on your interfaces is they do um, eye tracking. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had that experience before. 
Uh, I worked for Progressive Insurance for a number of years and they had a usability lab where they would have users come in and they would track their eyes and it was very interesting. <laughs> they have the, like these heat maps, you know, of like where the eyes spent the most time at. Mm-hmm. Because when you're designing a screen or when you're designing a series of screens, you want to make sure that you're... <sighs> you're valuing the user's time and interest. You don't want them to start to get bored or to talk about what their wife was cooking at dinner. You want to push them to the greatest value and utility of your app, whether it's a game or whether it's, you know, house search app or whatever kind of app it is, you want that design to interface with, you know, their, their natural way of doing human design principles. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is interesting. Very interesting subject. We've covered a lot. I think it's been good. Um, should we get to picks? This episode is sponsored by Rails Remote Conf. Rails Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference. So if travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. The conference is focused on people who want to keep up with the latest in Rails, such as databases, front-end frameworks, or Rails 5.1 and all the new stuff that came out with that. We'll have speakers from all over the Rails community to help you stay current in a Slack room so that you can connect with speakers and attendees in real time. Plus, I'll be there since I'm the MC. It also includes a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 27th, and the call for proposals is open until May 13th. So come join us at railsremoteconf.com. We've covered a lot. I think it's been good. Um, should we get to the picks? Sure. All right. Uh, Erica, do you have any picks for us? I do. It is The Illusion of Life. It is a book, and it is really hard to find. So you're going to have to search for it. Um, it's by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson, and that's Johnston with a T. And they are from Disney Alan, Disney Animation, and it is the book that covers the 12 basic principles of animation, and the book dates back to 1981. Oh, uh, okay. I think Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston are both members of Disney's Nine Old Men, which were sort of the, the main nine Disney animators going all the way back to the very earliest days. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, they knew what they were talking about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Anything else, Erica? Do I have to have more than one pick? I thought that we were... You don't. I'm just pushing you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Nope. Can't think of a thing. Okay. Uh, Mark, do you have a a pick for us? Sure. I would say if, if any of the developers are like me and they really want to enhance their... UI skills, then sign up for the challenge, dailyui.co, and really stick with it. It's you'll find many reasons to give up. <laughs> you know, I don't have enough time, or I'm bored with the subjects. But just stick with it. You know, just and if you don't have enough time, 
make something as simple as possible and just practice every day. I got to ask, do you do this mostly on paper or do you do this mostly in Xcode? It's uh, it's all in Xcode. So we, we talked about this a little earlier before you came on, but he actually, for most of these challenges, he actually implements them for real in real code so that they're, they're not just a pretty drawing. Rock yes. on. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got one pick um, and my pick is, is, is possibly an obvious one, but uh, I've been using it a lot lately and remembered how much I like it. And that is keynote. Um, keynote is, Obviously, everybody knows what Keynote is, but to me, Keynote is an example of a Mac app that's really done well, and it um, it, it is a pleasure to use, and I'm able to do so much with it and, and accomplish really nice things and, uh, you know, make my presentations, and I'm actually using it for some diagramming and stuff like that right now, um, and I can mm. make that stuff look so much nicer than I can do on my own. It makes me feel like I actually know what I'm doing. That leads into a secondary pick for me, which is look around there are always sales on these things there are keynote templates you can buy i mean i'm talking about millions of these things and the templates for keynote if you're giving a talk that has lots of statistics they'll give you statistics things that you can adapt and modify and talk about um in your keynote with beautiful presentation graphics and they're usually really cheap especially if you're shopping on the sales if you're looking for something that's talking about design flow they they can give you ones that have design flow outlines and then you just fill them in with you know the particular project that you're working on keynote is awesome but what makes keynote super super awesome are the add-ins. That's a good tip, Erica. I've seen those, but I've never actually bought one and, and used it. I've stuck with the built-in stuff, but I'll have to check that out. Because you know, when you get up in front of an audience and your, your slides look really good, I mean, first impressions matter, right? And beyond that, presenting data, if you're doing sort of a data-heavy presentation, presenting data in a way that's actually pleasing and understandable to your audience is a really good way to increase the effectiveness of whatever you're trying to communicate all right well i want to thank you again for coming on mark it was great to talk to you and, and learn about what you're doing with the daily ui challenge and and some of the stuff that you've learned about it um and so uh, so th thanks again all right thanks for having me on andrew all right bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more